if you've been with us the last, I don't know how many weeks, but we've been going through Acts. And Clayton has been preaching about Acts, and he's been preaching in and towards Peter's sermon. I don't think he would say he's actually finished it, but we've been doing it. And, you know, Acts is a very funny book because the book of Acts, how can I say this? It can be quite polarizing. There's a lot of people that would read Acts and they get super excited and, and there's some people that can read Acts and after they read Acts, they're like, oh, I don't feel as excited as I thought I would be because there's some major highlights that occur in Acts and the natural questions as people get a little bit introspective about what that means for them and how they should be operating as believers can be a little bit overwhelming in terms of power. And so I am going to continue in Acts after Peter's sermon. And my intention in this is, yes, to teach a little bit, really a little bit, but I'm actually going to be doing more preaching to you, which is to give you a little bit of just my perspective, and I trust that it's going to be encouraging. We always like to be encouraging, and as parents, sometimes we don't get to be 100% encouraging. We get to have to just lay the facts down, but I, I do intend to. That's where I'm going to go. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Acts chapter 2. We're actually leaving Peter's sermon now. And I'm only going to really talk about two verses in Acts, and it's starting in verse 46. And in 46 and 47, it says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Just two verses, and we're just going to go a little bit into these two verses because there's a particular reason why, which I'll get to, and it's where I'm hoping to get to is really to address what I consider to be sometimes a mentality, and there are dangers with mentalities because mentalities typically go in a certain direction. In the legal world, we talk about there's a slippery slope that once you set a policy or rule in place, typically you will start trending. You know where you're going to end up because every amount of momentum will lead you that way. So that's why mentalities are sort of interesting because sometimes you're on a slippery slope and you don't really want to get where you're going to go. So let me start out by saying just two verses, and it says continuing daily. And it's very interesting to me because this is such a basic idea but if you, were to talk to, if you were to examine yourself and be somewhat objective about your life as a Christian, you would have to admit that it's kind of a daily exercise. You can think whatever you want about your theology, about your relationship with God, about what you're supposed to do. Oh, heaven forbid, talk about your calling. But the notion is that it's an everyday thing. And I would say that if we were super honest about even our Sunday gatherings, which are super intentional about, and would certainly desire that people be impacted, encouraged, built up, equipped even, that there's something of corporate worship that we talked about that is in and of itself is so expansive and amazing in the spirit, and we love that. But certainly, if we were honest about it, the last thing we would ever want to be to create as a culture is that somehow the Christian life became centered about 
what happened on a Sunday, and much less so or even non-existent to the rest of your week. Because there are six plus days of the week, you're not here. The day that you are here, we certainly want to have you blessed in some way following the heart of God in a corporate nature of the church and seeing you impacted in our region through you being impacted. But there is, of course, a danger that we can get really good at our Sundays and somehow that doesn't necessarily translate to you in your daily life where the remaining days of your week are somehow less than. So continuing daily. Really basic, but your Christian life entails a daily exercise of being, operating, mentalities. And it says with one accord, and Clayton did briefly go through a survey of all the instances of one accord and literally outside of one instance in the negative, in every instance where the, the term with one accord was used in the book of Acts, what resulted from that was a display, an amazing display in the supernatural in terms of effect or literal power. And of course, you know that with one accord speaks of unity. And while we all know that unity is valued and prized, and there's certain aspect of unity that we all believe is good, I don't think we can fully appreciate the literal significance in terms of impact that unity has. And if there's one thing, as I said, there's some certain aspect of your Christian life that it's daily, and one of the things that requires daily exercise is the notion of maintaining, striving for, and in a sense, preserving unity. That's a really basic idea of what we do. And sometimes the only way you can appreciate that is to understand, in a sense, the opposite of that. What happens if you don't have unity? So there is, I, I, am, I have a science background, and, but to understand the notion of unity, there's an element of order in it. And we all, if you're a parent, certainly you understand this, is that Everything left to themselves will tend to disorder. If you have a child and you have toys, you know, naturally, you don't have to, in fact, if you literally do nothing, all of the toys will end up being scattered throughout the room. Maximum disorder. Well, I mean, that's a, it's embodied in the second law of thermodynamics that things will tend to disorder. The, it's, the term is called entropy, that entropy, absent energy being put into the system, entropy will increase, which is, in this our easy example, unless you pick up the toys and put them back on the shelf, it will tend to disorder. You have to inject energy. You have to work at it to so that order is increased. Otherwise, if you don't work at it, disorder will reign. And we know that. As I said, every parent knows this. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah I'm really tired of producing order i.e., I'm really tired of picking up toys. Why can't they pick up toys? Well, okay, we know why. So it requires effort. It requires literal energy and intensity to prevent what is naturally to occur, which is disorder. There is a verse in Proverbs, a couple verses, and it's going to come on screen. 
this might actually shock you. It shocks me sometimes because we think of there's previously in this chapter, it talks about the wicked man and one of the things characterized the wicked man, he, it sows discord. So this is what it says. Proverbs 6.16, these six things the Lord hates. You know, that's, hate is such a strong word, isn't it? In fact, the word has actually been co-opted by the culture to, in a sense, de-emphasize what hate really is. Because hate is everywhere. You know, okay, you could say it's everywhere, but if you were to really appreciate what situations you're in where you're the object of hate, I think you would have a little bit of a different opinion compared to how the world uses the term hate. So this is what the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. Da, 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 da. This is the end. A false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among brethren. The Lord hates that. It's an abomination to him. And you're thinking, well, okay, this is not encouraging. That's actually kind of strong. <laughs> Clayton said he's encouraged. <laughs> Why did I mention this? Because I talked about the energy and the intensity that is required to preserve unity because the natural order of things, it will tend to disorder. So here in this verse, what is embodied in this verse, which is what the Lord says he hates is an abomination to him, is one who sows discords among brethren. So in our analogy of children like toys just getting scattered. So you, because you like a clean house, you like an orderly house, you're putting all your energy to, in a sense, increase order, putting the toys away, and yet now there's somebody, there's a further actor now in the equation that is actually saying, oh, that's great that you're doing that. Uh, I'm going to take these toys, I'm going to throw them out again. That's an intentional act by somebody to thwart your desire to produce order and prevent disorder. That's what the Lord hates. What we think sometimes is a relatively minor, and there, I can tell you the reason why we think it is relatively minor, you know, I, I'm just like not in full agreement, so, you know, I'm chatting it up, I'm, I'm telling people, you know, I'm not really in agreement with this, I don't know why they're doing that. Okay, I mean, yeah, we, we're all people, we all know how this works. And the reason why that is, in a sense, not being perceived as such a big deal is because most people have a revelation of the impact of something, not the principle of the thing. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is this. They will grade, in a sense, their involvement in such activity as like, well, it's not that big a deal. It's not a huge impact, which is a very different thing to say that I understand the principle of it, which is like if you found, if you walked into a store and you found a $100 bill lying on the floor, you would probably be convicted that it's probably not mine to just take. But you found a quarter, it's like, oh, no problem. Yeah, I mean, it's like nobody's going to feel pain if I pick up a quarter. And that's a very different thing between understanding and having a revelation of the impact versus having a revelation of a principle. And what I'm emphasizing to you here, not to get totally off track, there is a principle of unity that God so values and that myself and all of you at some level have been the reverse actor that is the one sowing discord. I'm not accepting myself from this. But the Lord hates that. 
And I went through this whole exercise just to tell you, to try and produce, show you the negative, to have you appreciate the value of unity. And why the Lord so treasures that. Because unity, if you really were to break it down, there is a throne of God and he is an authority structure from the throne of God. And from the throne of God, there is order and peace is the result. And where that order is maintained all the way down to the particular area, geography, organization, set of people, then you get his peace. With one accord. Continuing daily with one accord in the temple, which is the whole point of what I wanted to get to. And Clayton talked about this. He talked about to appreciate Acts is to appreciate what occurred from a context of a people that went from the old covenant to the new, which is to say under the old covenant, everything was structured like literal clockwork. There were sacrifices. I'm not going to go. I'm going to save some time. There were sacrifices at the third hour and the ninth hour, which was based upon ultimately a burnt Sacrifice. It was done daily, and a prayer was associated with that. So everything for the people to go to the temple was, in a sense, already structured in their day. And so you can imagine a people always like, well, uh, he was the Passover lamb. His blood was sufficient for all time as a sacrifice. And now all these sacrifices and the, the burnt sacrifice was generally about atonement. So all of that now was null and void, as in it, we, d- we don't need that anymore. So the context here, after Peter's sermon, they were going to the temple, which was the center of the entire social religious structure for the people. And then after they were saved, we realized Jesus is Messiah and we put our faith in him, saving faith in him. Now the entire societal structure that they had accustomed to was all of a sudden irrelevant. And yet it wasn't uniform to all the people. So they would now go to the temple. It says, continuing daily with one accord in the temple. So what were they doing? Evangelism. That's literally what, imagine, so, you know, years and years ago, you know, we did some outreaches on Halloween. Why? We had them at our house. It's like the one day of year people come to your house. So you just sit up in your house and people come. So imagine now that same principle under this societal structure. Third hour, ninth hour, people are going to the temple to pray. Well, guess what? They don't know Jesus. They don't know that this is all irrelevant. And they're literally going to come there on those two times a day. So if you were a new convert in the new covenant, like this is the most fertile ground. If you want to go fish, well, go where the fish are. Well, guess where the fish are going. You know exactly where the fish are going to be at the third hour and the ninth hour. So that's what they did in the temple. And can you imagine, it's like, oh my goodness, this is like the greatest, like shooting fish in a barrel. I mean, come on, this is like the greatest thing. They're thinking that, oh my goodness, you know, they're all coming, sacrifice, they got to pray. It's like, uh, you, you realize this is all like unnecessary now. Do you realize that you just literally saw the one who was the fulfillment that the prophet spoke of? like clockwork, two times a day. They just pitch up, people are coming, and they just get 
to preach. It's evangelism. Which is the whole point of this, my, the genesis of what I'm talking to you is, is this simple idea, is that from the Jewish people's perspective, they went from a temple-centric mentality to now they're in the temple and had nothing to do about a place. That's all I really wanted to talk to you about today. A temple-centric mentality places the emphasis of your entire religious experience on a place. Versus, as they experience, having come out of the old and into the new, now what had been the center, which is their place, all of a sudden just became a place for them to express now the true commission. It's not lost on me as when I talked about the slippery slope. It's not lost on me that the better we get at our Sundays, and believe me when I say we want the best possible experience in God on a Sunday that is possible in the Spirit. But it's not lost on me and to any of the other guys that, huh, somehow that could be the experience where the slippery slope, unless you address it, is such that we can become temple-centric like anybody else. Like anybody else. Oh, you got to pitch up on the Sunday. That's where the action's at. I mean, yeah, I'm being somewhat facetious about that. But there is that subtle danger that is something that I never want to see occur because that devalues the whole point of what Jesus did. So, if I had a title for the sermon, it's the new temple, which is you. Going from what was a place, their entire existence for the old covenant Jews was about a place. Their entire lives revolved around a place. And in the new covenant, they were now were the temple which necessitated entirely different change in mentality, which you saw expressed right in this verse, which is now going to the temple, which was previously their form of devotion and religious exercise, now became the actual act of them working out the Great Commission. And the result? And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. In other words, they were successful. They were successful. I don't know where I'm at in my notes. But, so, wow, I got pretty far. That's pretty good. So, I'm talking to you about this issue. And I, I also am sensitive to the fact that you can hear, easily hear a lot of things that I'm not saying. So, I'm going to give you a very big caveat at the outset. Well, we're, we're kind of in the middle. But I'm going to give you a caveat for you to interpret some of the things I'm going to say, because I'm going to go into full preaching mode, which is not anything related to teaching, and I'm just going to give you a little bit of me now. But when you hear some of the statements I make and the implications of those, it is very tempting for you to be a little confused because you get in what I would refer to as an either-or mentality. That, well, you said this, but that doesn't really equate to this, and it's either that or this, this or that. Like, yeah, no. 
It's not where I'm going to. It's both and. See, at the outset, I will tell you, while I'm kind of railing on this notion of temple-centric mentalities, I am not advocating in any way that somehow we're going to be trying to de-emphasize our Sundays. No. I say, we want more. We want you, you to experience more. So we want that and what I'm trying to refer and talk to you about. It's both and, not either or. So it's very easy for you to like, well, that doesn't make sense because, you know, you said this before, you guys believed this before, and now it doesn't, you're saying something opposite. It's like, yeah, that's either or thinking. Just dispel that. I'm talking both and. So that's a big caveat. You know, because it's a funny thing. If COVID has taught us one thing, it's like, oh, what we didn't think was possible actually was possible. I never would have imagined an event that would shut down the corporate meeting and cost the entire nation for months. Never would have thought that. So if you've learned anything from COVID, it's like, oh, yeah, it's possible. Trust it never happens again. But it is certainly on, you know, there's like black swan events. That's not a black swan event now. You know it can happen. So both end. Okay, so I put that out up front. All right. So, of course, as you've been listening to me, you should be appreciating this very concept that you are the church. It's not a building. We know this. Okay. So the exercise that I want you to engage you with is for you to think things through. Like, I have to think things through. I like to make sense of things that I tell myself. I like that. I don't like to be internally consistent, inconsistent. It's a thing. So in Colossians chapter 1, it says this. I'm telling you stuff that you've heard preached. It says, The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This has been preached here. The mystery. Which, if you go and look at what they were talking about in terms of the mystery, if they actually had known what the true implications of the mystery was, they would have never crucified Christ. That's like the biggest blunder ever in the spiritual history of the world. Because you had what was a man operating by the Holy Spirit, God, but operating by the Holy Spirit. Okay, you removed his effect by taking him off the board, and now in his place you had thousands that's a pretty bad blunder if they had known. But they didn't know because they couldn't peer through this mystery. So the notion, this mystery, which is Christ in you. Okay, what does that mean? So this is one way you can look at what it means. Christ in you, what does it mean? Revelation of Christ in them, which is you, of their possession of him, of his inhabitation in them by his spirit and grace, particularly by faith, and of their communion with him in consequence of their union to him. That's a lot. I get it. But you could say that is what it means when it says Christ in you. The great mystery that what you have now by his spirit, you gained, in a sense, possession and communion in him. Okay, just hold on to that. That's the first thought, right? So you're Christians. Some of you may not be, but I'm going to 
take a stab that the vast majority of all of you sitting here are Christians. And the, the term Christians was first used in Acts chapter 11. And what it means, not surprisingly, is a follower of Christ. Okay. It's not a trick question. But I do have a question now for you. Which for you to work out. You are a Christ follower. You're a Christian. You're a Christ follower. That's statement A. Statement B, which is Christ is in you, as I had still up there, Christ in you. So you're a follower of Christ, and Christ is in you. A plus B equals what? I know you're working this out. If I wanted, if my entire goal, which it is, is to begin to dismantle temple-centric thinking, you have to resolve this a little conundrum, which is you're a Christian, which means you follow Christ, and now Christ is in you. The implications of that, if you're willing to actually entertain what is basic principles of logic and responsibility now, if you're willing to entertain that, the result and the potential consequence of that on you and your thinking every day and your action is quite stunning. Because in this entire equation, let me tell you something. You don't need me. You don't. I mean, you're listening to me. Thank you for your politeness. But you don't need me. I'm not even in the equation. You're a follower of Christ, and Christ is in you, so you're following the one who's in you. You don't need me. You don't need a building. I'm going to leave that with you to work out, because you have to work it out. Okay. Now I'm going to preach to you. <laughs> I didn't need your permission, but thank you. <laughs> um, so, working this out is not easy. But it is a perspective that forces you to actually grapple with it. And all I've done is to try, because these are, and I get it, this can seem somewhat very theoretical and like out there kind of stuff. And to some degree it is, because it just forces you to think conceptually. But I also want it to be super practical. So what I did was come up with five things of an encouragement to you to be the church daily. That's all. And anyway, so let's get started. So the first one, very simple. And I, I'm going to be very honest with you. I don't even really love this one. And I'm going to explain why. So the first one, Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Okay, yeah, we all know that. And I, I'm also being honest with you that it's not, it's not my favorite. And I'll tell you why. I have, a real, I, I have reasons. So the reason why I don't particularly love this is that what I've seen over time is like when I tell, if I were to give you an instruction, you know, go be the light of the world, people kind of take that and there's a little bit of unreality that comes out because they believe they have to be somewhat active in a display. Like a light is shining. And by the way, accept that all of this. If you're an evangelist, you just go do, go do your thing. I mean, just no, no rules, just go do your thing. I say, you know, but sometimes people, like, they hear this. Where's, you know, you were lied to. Where's, like, well, I got to preach the gospel to somebody. 
Well, yeah, I mean, fine, if you are so led. But I've, I've noticed over time that people, it's hard to grab hold of that. As I said, accepting evangelists, which I'll say again and again, if you, if you identify as evangelists, do whatever your heart in God believes to do. Just go do it. But here, here's my encouragement. So I have to, t- and not everybody knows this reference, but in the, in the Lord of the Rings, there is a very particular scene it's where Lady, if you don't, I'm not going to explain all the characters, but it's just a concept. Lady Galadriel gives Frodo a file of starlight and says, a light to you in dark places when all other lights go out. So, if you are to be the light of the world, let me, let me be a little bit clear and honest with you. In this room, right now, there's a lot of light. There's a lot of light. And some of you might think, well, you know, I'm not the brightest light, blah, 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 blah. I said, but the point is there's a lot of light. There just is. And if you happen to be, which is my encouragement, you'll appreciate the significance of the light you carry when you are out among the people of the world. Accept that, please. That's my encouragement to you. You can be in this room, if this is like the sum total of your existence of Christianity, which I know it's not, and you'd be like, yeah, I, I mean, like, yeah, I, I've got this light, but, you know, I mean, look at all the light. I mean, it's like, what, what, what do they need me for? If you were, and you don't even have to try very hard, by the way, and don't go rushing into it. I don't, I don't want to do a lot of caveats to this. But if you found yourself amongst people of the world who are not believers, not only that, are actually in opposition to what you believe, you will find and you will gain a greater appreciation of the light that you carry. That's all I want you to take away from that. Just appreciate that because sometimes you don't appreciate what you carry. And I'm not trying to hype you up. I'm just trying to tell you brass tacks, this is like the deal. In here, you can feel like, yeah, I don't need to do much. I mean, you know, there's so many capable people. But once you get around people of the world that have no understanding of what you believe to your heart in terms of how you got saved, then you will appreciate what you have because you are amidst darkness. And the light that you carry will now so shine. You don't have to do a lot. You will see it. And that's my encouragement to you. So that's number one. Number two. Matthew 5, you are the salt of the earth. I talk to people a lot this all because I just so believe it. Because this one, I love this reference better than light of the world, and I, I explained why. But here's why I love this analogy of who you are. I love salt. I started making guacamole. And the one thing I realized about guacamole is all about salt. I don't care what else you want to put, just put salt. And you are good. The picture that Jesus is presenting is that as a salt of the earth, people are tasting your life. As you come in contact with people, just in your everyday life, it could be 
relatives. It could be your workplace. It could be an organization. It could be sports teams. I don't really care. Wherever you are, people are coming in contact with your life, and they are making judgment based upon your life. It's like, wow, you know, I mean, I don't really get it, but I like the taste of it. I love the flavor of it. It doesn't sound very religious because it's not. This is the real thing of you living your life and having something that people, when they, they appear, believe me, when, they're not going to understand. They're like, what ingredients are you using? I've never tasted something like that before. But I like it. Because I see that my life, I enjoy my life way better when I'm around you versus not. So my encouragement to you, people of the world need what your life has to offer. And the biggest thing I would think that we're going to battle in this one, and more generally all of these things, is you questioning yourself what you have. Good, fair question. Because you will list all the things that you don't think are so great about you, and I'll just start, and we'll just, it's just a start for you. It's like, well, you have God. And you believe in him for something, And most people devalue the transformative impact of a life with God as compared to a life without God. And all I'm trying to get you to see is that you people need what you have to offer. Don't grade yourself on the type of salt you are. There's a lot of salts, by the way. They're all good. And people need what you have. That's number two. So we're going we're gonna, to, oh my goodness. Josh is gearing up. Okay, so it's, uh, okay. I talked about your life. And I'm going to be, as I'm, I'm preaching to you a little bit, because I've seen some stuff. Because I'm older, I've seen a lot more stuff. Perspective is nice. In the church, people generally, When they think of their life, they are in such a rush. Your life takes time. I've sat with like young adults and they give me these notions like, you know, I want to, I want to impact the world. I'm like, yeah, you're, you're 20 something and you could potentially impact your world. But your life takes time. Not to say that you don't do anything. Not to say that you get, you get a free pass, that you don't have to have your life on display. You don't, get to be, you don't need to be like, because you're not ready yet. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that there's aspects of who you are that takes time. Because in Ephesians 2.10, it says that you are his workmanship. And I have preached this before, so I don't want to do a teaching on that. But that word is poema, which is where you get poem, which is you are a unique work of art, and a unique work of art takes time. I think it would be super funny if somebody could show me a video of myself when I was 19 years old. You would get to see immaturity, lack of concern, self-centeredness, Probably manipulation. You would see everything that's probably like, yeah, I don't want, I, yeah, I'm tasting that's not so good. You would see all that kind of stuff, 
And I said, yeah, and that's, that's fine. But there are still aspects of who you are and what God has for you. He, has a, he knows your life, not only where you are now, he knows your past, present, and he knows your future, and he has a particular purpose in mind for you. That's why he created you, and it takes time. Why? Because you have to be trained. And one of the ways that you have to be trained, which is, you know, can you just get over yourself a little bit? You know, sometimes we deal with problems. There's problems, and they're like, oh, I mean, I've got a problem. You know, it's like, I don't want a problem. I want a good life. And it's like, well, the fact of the matter is that some of the problems which are unique to you that appear on your doorstep, you don't even need to find them. They appear as part of your training. And your training takes time. So everything I said about being the light of the world and salt of the earth, yes, true, absolutely. But also on the flip side, which is not either or, both and, is that your life takes time. Can you give yourself some grace? You don't necessarily know the fullness of what God has for you. And part of that is by design because you would run if you knew. So I, I had it up there. I don't know if they put it out. The problems that arrive on your doorstep can represent your training. You have what it takes to win. See, if it's your training, that means God orchestrated all of this to arrive on your doorstep. He's not going to give you anything that you can't handle, which means by implication and by truth, you have what it takes to win. And you have to. You have to. Okay, moving on. Number four, this one is just a reflection of where we are in the world today. I'm proposing to you that you recognize that you are increasingly under weaponized assault by the world system. You know, what I'm encouraging you to do, uh, yeah, you know, it's not about this building, get out into the world. Yeah, the world's, there's wolves. And what I mean particularly by this is that if I were to, to give you an example, particularly to prove it to you, if I were to ask to you, if we were to do this weekly, by the way, it's like, you know, how many of you are struggling with fear and anxiety? I would bet, and if I had the data from pre-COVID to post-COVID, that the number on average would be much higher. That is by design. That is by design. What has happened in the world of science is that there's a, a vast movement that's underway that recognizes that people, for lack of a better word, are machines. You have a body, you have a soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. And you, if the understanding is of you as a machine, they realize that you're hackable which is all of that is to say is that they can do this by scientific testing, testing A-B messaging, knowing your background, roughly socioeconomic status, et cetera, that they can design messaging that is particularly designed to push buttons you don't even know are there to get you to accept and move you into a state of thinking that is by their design. And what has happened in the last three plus years is fear and anxiety has absolutely been weaponized to have you be, by your consumption of all forms of media, to have become a part of you. That's by design. 
It's not an accident. It's by design. So something like fear and anxiety, which is designed to push the buttons of the machinery of your soul, and one of the things you can't do is you can't fight that assault with your soul. You can't think your way out of it. You don't even know those buttons are there. And somebody's just push, 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 push. Oh, I'm afraid. I've got anxiety. I'm depressed. Well, yeah, that's the whole point. So, recognize and acknowledging that is true. Here's my encouragement. You have access to the Holy Spirit. The cheat code to withstanding that assault. I, all I can tell you is some of what I understand and some of my experience. When you're being manipulated, you won't necessarily even know that you are being manipulated. I have been manipulated. I've been shocked sometimes at my vulnerability to manipulation. And the only saving grace, literally, which is the cheat code, is the Holy Spirit saying, um, I'm not sure about that. I mean, I just want you to appreciate the significance of the assault, which is an assault designed, which is intentionally designed to, in a sense, winnow in on the vulnerabilities of your machinery. And it would be, quite frankly, arrogance for you to think that somehow you know your machinery better than the ones that are intentionally designing an assault to your machinery. There's an ele element of arrogance with that. This is what I felt to do last night. Like this thought came to me last night during encounter time. You see, I, I'm going to say it very quickly. The soul and the spirit are to operate separately. Prior to you becoming a believer, your spirit was sunken into your soul and all you lived by was your mind, your will, and your emotions. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living, active, penetrating, so as to dividing like to separate out the soul and the spirit so that the voice of the spirit is now distinct. And I just felt to pray for us on specifically that issue. And I'm not going to ask for a response. I'm just going to pray that there would be that separation. I need that separation. So, if you don't mind, would you just close your eyes just for a second? We're just going to do this very quickly. Lord Jesus, these are your people. Lord Jesus, you gave us of your spirit that has taken resonance in us, giving expression and giving us communion with you, O oh God. And I just say in the name of Jesus, by your word, by the operation of your spirit, that it would penetrate even now and begin to split and separate the soul of the spirit. The mind, the will, and the emotions, those components of the soul will not control. And I say release in the name of Jesus the operation of your spirit. That voice will be heard clearly, distinctly. Let there be a separation even now. We say release in the spirit for your people.
Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. So I've got one more. I'm going to call up the worship team because I want to do a song at the end. So worship team, if you don't mind coming up. I've just one, one final thing to end up on before Josh comes up here. <laughs> he looks so casual now, but he's not. Lastly, your home, this is about daily, you being a Christian. It's my encouragement. Your home is a prime ministry field. And this is true. Don't think about whether you have a family or not. D dispense that. Your home, single, family, married, with kids, without, doesn't really matter. Your home is a prime ministry field. You know, going back to Acts chapter 2, it says, you know, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. And my encouragement to you, God wants to take up residence in your home if you'll let him. It's your choice. 26 years ago, approximately, you know, we moved into our home. And we did something. We're, of course, incredibly thankful that God gave us an opportunity to purchase the home, which was an answer to much prayer. And we did something which was a, just, in a sense, a, an act. And we have, if you ever visited our home and you look above the front door, it says this, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Just something we felt to do. Now I appreciate the significance at a whole different level. Because in effect, what we were doing was giving God dominion and ownership and prerogative. And I spoke about from the throne room of God that the order from the throne which produces peace is that in right relationship to the throne through his chains of authority, his peace now descends. And I probably, if I'm honest, I would say I didn't really understand that to that degree, but we did it. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And just was an expression by us to give him prerogative. He's Lord. He is Lord. And I just believe that he desires that as an opportunity in every single home represented here, bar none. That what he does here can be just as true by experience in your home. So, we're going to sing a song. And I wanted to actually do this for the worship team. Because I'm done. But I wanted to thank them. And I, I would like to honor them. And if you wouldn't mind, would you just stand? Because I'm going to close in prayer, but I'm going to close in prayer for them. Because they get to lead us to where we want to go. It's amazing, isn't it? So if you don't mind, just put, turn your thoughts towards them. You can stretch out your hand, but I'm just going to pray for them. And then we're just going to sing a song. Lord Jesus, I thank you for them the entire team. Those that were here on stage last night and today and those that are not. And Lord, we just do so honor them because what they carry in their hearts is a desire, a desire to give you honor, to give you praise, 
to give you glory. And I thank you for them. And we just choose now just to bless them as they lead us into your presence. For, oh Lord, you are good. And if we accomplish anything, is that you would be praised. All of us represented here are for the praise of your glory. So be glorified in every way, O oh Lord. Amen.